Okay, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Daily Energy Markets podcast. It is the 31st of Halloween, I was going to say. It's the 31st of October, <laughs> which is Halloween, uh, which is one of those uh, strange but wonderful holidays that actually come from Ireland. So we'll claim that a great old Celtic tradition that has spread all over the world. And like great other Irish traditions, reinvented by the Americans into a festival nature. So uh, we'll wish everybody a happy Halloween wherever you are. Uh, the oil markets don't seem to be paying too much attention to the, the festivities of Halloween, relatively unperturbed by current events, uh, settling a little bit up this morning in early Asian trade, but ultimately under $88 a barrel. Uh, no dramas there. Let's kick off with some regional geopolitical perspective, uh, uh, given that we're seeing increasing voice to the uh, Turkish president. We welcome Mehmet Oguchu, Group CEO, Global Resources Partnership, and the chairman of the London Energy Club, and of course, a long-standing uh, Turkish diplomat in his past. Mehmet, what's your reading on the Middle East geopolitical picture at the moment with the growing conflict in uh, Gaza now, nearly 10,000 Palestinians killed? Well, I think the situation is getting worse and worse. And before, as you remember, Obama used to say it's economic stupid. Now, increasingly, we are saying it's geopolitics stupid. So geopolitical tensions, frictions, will be determining and shaping our future in a great measure. And of course, Middle East is one of them. The risk of the war expanding to other countries in the region, we have seen as the Tutis firing missiles and drones over Saudi Arabia, which was uh, stopped. And then US uh, hitting targets in Syria, Iraq. And then Erdogan, as you said, uh, taking a more harsh, harsher position against Israel because there was a, I think, a sincere attempt from uh, Erdogan, as we discussed in our previous discussions, to man ties with Israel. And it came to a position where he was about to visit Israel. The Turkish energy minister was going there to strike a deal about the Ismet gas and pipeline. And then in the initial stages, of the conflict, Erdogan took a more responsible attitude, less uh, emotional outburst. But what we have seen in the latest uh, rally, Palestine rally in Istanbul, he came out saying that one night unexpectedly we can come, implying that there might be military intervention somehow from Turkey. And secondly, he said he's going to take Israel as a war criminal to the world uh, court in this regard. And this is not only playing to the domestic audience in Turkey, but it is also emboldening some of the regional readers in the Middle East who remain relatively passive, but there's growing pressure from the protests in the street. So it will have some impact on other Middle Eastern leaders to take tougher position and action. It's going to damage Turkey's relations with Israel beyond repair, I think, in the short to medium term. It will also put Turkey in a difficult position with its Western allies, because all of them lined up along Israel. Turkey is the only uh, country taking such a, a critical and very harmful position vis-a-vis -vis, uh, Israel. Of course. of course, Turkey has its own reasons. But if I were in the shoes of the foreign minister and the minister of economy who's touring the world to attract more finance and investment, I will be quite disturbed by what president is doing, actually. Of course. There is an emotional attachment to what's happening in Palestine. Uh, tens of thousands of people 
wounded and dying, and there must be a response to that. But I think Turkey is staying more calm and also stubborn in its pursuit of goals could be a true intermediary, talking to Israelis, Palestinians, and Arab states and Western capitals. Now I think this golden opportunity has been missed. Let's welcome Mark Oswald, Chief Economist and Global Strategist at ADM Investor Services International. Mark, looking at business as usual, we have the German Chancellor in Nigeria trying to get some gas. We've, uh, we have... Uh, Business as usual continue. Uh, uh, U.S. economy continues to defy gravity with a 4.9% print on uh, Q3 GDP. Where do you think this is going, business as usual, with the loud noises coming from Palestine? Well, I think it's one of those uh, typical high-wire balancing acts. Um, on the one hand, um, there are all this multiple array of and complex array of threats geopolitical, as uh, Mehmet said, uh, mainly. Um, uh, on the other hand, we've got a world in transition. Um, we are still trying to work out how the world, what business as its usual actually means. So I think for a lot of people, trying to second guess what happens next is almost impossible. And therefore, there is something of a business as usual attitude, even though everyone's aware that visibility is, I think, probably close to zero. Um, nevertheless, there is still a lot of momentum in the global economy. It's very patchy. It's um, actually quite volatile in itself, i.e. companies, you know, companies' order flows relative to that very stable period during the 2010 to, to 2020, um, you know, they're much less predictable. And people are learning to deal with that. And so certainly there's this, uh, I think I, I said that last year was a year which, um, well, this year has been the year rather, um, in which things have returned to normal, except they're not stable. And I think that's exactly where we are at the moment, normal, but not stable. And people, uh, you know, I think for markets above all, you know, you know for instance, uh, let's take, uh, the debt ceiling problem, it's not really materialized in the way that people thought. The UAW strike has sat down. It has been basically looks to have been bedded down. It's not material. So for a lot of people in markets, particularly geopolitics, which they always find difficult to, to price in in any case, it's a case of, well, we'll, we'll, we'll do our Pavlov Act. <laughs> when something comes along which is significant, we'll press the button. <laughs> Bill Spindle, Senior Global Correspondent, Cypher News. Bill, we're now only weeks away from COP28 rather than months uh, uh, with the the plans on, I believe, start seeing the official start of COP28 uh, on the 28th of, of, the, of November. Uh, your thoughts on what the global impact of this geopolitical storm is on that? Is there a impact we're we're seeing separately india apparently backing away from the consensus on 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 agreement regarding cop 28 and the climate uh, challenge your thoughts on where these major geopolitical events could intersect to disrupt the cop 28 plans yeah well they're they're certainly not helping any um there's a there's a sort of pre-cop meeting this week where there it's been slow going 
uh, all year, really, to try to get some sort of consensus, even a minimal consensus around, say, tripling renewables um, or around a big uh, financing package, much less the much harder issues of uh phasing out or phasing down fossil fuels, which, you know, seems impossible to get an agreement on. And now you've got this regional tension on top of that, that, you know, won't, I don't think directly impede on things unless it, unless we see a, a really widening conflict situation in the region, uh, though it may scare off a couple of global leaders and it will certainly be distracting uh, a lot of attention from everyone both, you know, how much they can put into COP itself, media attention to it, um, and ultimately how much political capital people are willing to to expend at a time when uh, there's a lot of other things going on. Mehmet, uh, the oil markets are surprisingly sober at this time, uh, given the geopolitical dramas uh, moving in a very tight band, high 80s to low 90s, give or take a few dollars. Where do you think China is on all of this? We're seeing data coming out of China today. You see that uh, factory activity returns to contraction last month. Uh, the Chinese geopolitical position on the Middle East, do you think they're concerned, getting involved? Where do you see China oil and the Middle East geopolitics coming into the one Venn diagram? Well, I just saw a report from the World Bank saying that oil prices might go up to $150 uh, per barrel. And of worst course, case scenario, the, the, worst case scenario, yeah. Yes, in the worst case scenario. And I think, as we know, Chinese diplomacy is very prudent. Even at on issues which are very dear to their hearts, they try to follow a more restrained and sober position. Middle East and the Gulf is critical areas, one of the critical areas for Chinese. As you know, they get most of their oil from Iran, Iraq, and Saudi Arabia. Therefore, any conflict spreading to Iran, then leading to the closure of Hermes Strait, perhaps, will be fatal for Chinese economy. Therefore, they want to play a moderating role because they are on top in terms to Israel, the Saudis, the Iranians, uh, China, perhaps behind the closed doors, rather than being so public and uh, noisy as Turkey was doing, perhaps, uh, China could play a more moderating role in the region. I don't know whether the US and other European powers will be allowing this to happen, but they have a clout on the region. And in China, of course, they are worried about the possible supply disruptions, even under the worst case scenario. So the Chinese will continue to, I think, uh, collect as much oil as they can from the market. They have the strategic reserves. And the economy is not picking up as uh, many people hope it will in the second half of this year. We are yet to see uh, significant growth in Chinese economy. So I think demand will be more or less the same, but the Chinese will be in the mode of uh, getting more oil for the rainy days. Mehmet, just to follow up on that, do you think uh, from your years as a diplomat in China that the Chinese will be uh, see this as a Western problem, the, the conflict in Palestine, or and, and sort of uh, and so allow it to fester and become a big problem for the West? Or would I mean, how would they assess it from that point of view? Clearly, Ukraine is not their problem as they see it. Uh, they gesture occasionally. Does this fall into being uh, closer to their bucket of something they would engage with, or would they still let it play out and be a problem for the West? 
Well, I think Chinese, as we all know, think in long-term strategic terms. And Ukraine, as you said, is not a critical uh, country for them to step in. And they have to be also with Russia, but not in so much aligned. But Middle East and the Gulf nations are critical for China, not only for oil and gas, but critical minerals and what you have. Also, if we have this polarization along the Western countries versus China, uh, Russia, North Korea, Iran on the other side, if there is a real attack on Iran at some point under the worst case scenarios, I don't think China could stay indifferent to that. But what could China do? I don't think that they have much military power to come all the way from mainland China and intervene in the Gulf or Middle East, but they have other instruments in hand to use in conjunction with probably uh, Russia and uh, Iran, perhaps North Korea even. So if they see this as a polarization getting firmer and firmer, working against Chinese interests, I don't think that they will remain indifferent. And the, the Chinese uh, naval forces in the Gulf now, uh, sailing all the way, is just a small signal that they will be in the region uh, for some time to come in order to protect their interests, but they will not engage in any military activity. Mark, uh, just coming back to the sort of the, the business as usual, if you're my business as usual guy at this podcast, uh, uh, the Fed are meeting this week. We had the ECB last week who paused their tightening cycle, the first uh, meeting in, in uh, many, many months that they haven't increased. The Fed are due to meet this week. Do we care at this moment about whether... There's another 25 basis points. Does the market care? What's your thoughts on the, the, the tightening cycle? Where does it play into the economic outlook for, for the new year at this stage? Um, I think markets have uh, sort of definitely moved on from inflation, um, perhaps even more so given that we haven't seen the sort of spike in energy prices that many had feared as a result of uh, the Israel-Hamas war. Um, so we are... Uh, markets were already sort of move, trying to move on. The, the, the interest rate story matters, but markets aren't worried. It's not about uh, if there's another 25 basis point from central bank X, Y, or Z. It's really about what would be the trigger for interest rates to come down. And more importantly, as we're starting to see, uh, particularly in this Q3 earnings season, it's the fact that... Um, <clears throat> A lot of companies now are starting to mention, you know, we, we had this sort of period where people were quite optimistic on outlooks. They're not so optimistic on the outlook. They are struggling with the higher financing costs in a lot of areas. Um, they're struggling with uh, <clears throat> the lagged effects of monetary policy. And people are concerned that at a micro, more micro level, things are starting to deteriorate, hence why the S&P is sitting on what are potentially uh, very significant levels if we were to break them on the downside. For the moment, there's a little bit relief that we're not getting. You, you, there's a classic push me, pull you. So markets primarily concern at the moment is definitely geopolitics. The interest rates uh, uh, situation in the background is something that everyone's trying to contend with. I think really what people are most worried about is are the defensive qualities of things like T-bills and very short dated assets now so overwhelming that risk appetite is going out the window? 
you know, it's just being fundamentally destroyed because the opportunity cost of taking risk at the moment, well, it's, it's not really worth it. You know, people just look at it and go, look, I can earn 5%. I'm not a greedy person. I, I And actually, I don't really want to do all the hard work that I was I'm doing. Not a greedy, yes. I'm not a greedy Wall Street person. I don't know. Do those two words go together? Well, uh, the... The, the the nonetheless, I take obviously your point, Bill. Um, I wanted to get your views on the timing of these intersections. Obviously, the just major geopolitical crisis in Palestine, Israel comes at, at what is now a heating up American election cycle, uh, and and what role that plays in the American ability and the administration's ability to navigate. And the same question vis-a-vis uh, -vis India, of course, is we're six months or so away from uh, the elections in India. But tackle America first. Yeah, I think it, it kind of goes back to what we've been talking about. I just, there's really a, a sense of uncertainty because there's really unstable situations that simply can't really be sustained, but nobody quite knows which way they're going to break, right? You've got the uh, the war in Gaza and Israel. It's clearly going to get worse before it gets what? Better or even worse than that? Um, you've got the interest rate situation, which, you know, long rates, the 10 the 10 year, the longer rates have really bumped up a bit. And I think there's a sense that they can't really they won't stay at that. Either they're going to fall uh, or they're going to drag the economy down. Um, and so that's a kind of unsustainable situation. And then the politics, I think, is a similar thing where you've got uh, you finally got a speaker in the House. You finally got something resembling normal governance going on. Um, but again, it's it's not really clear that, that that's really a sustainable situation either. Are they going to get through this? Uh, government shutdown period over the next couple of weeks. Can the Republicans keep things together? I don't think anyone thinks the current situation is is sustainable on any in any way. But nobody's quite sure is it going to get better um, and sort of stabilize as we get into the election year, or is it really going to just continue to de deteriorate? Are we going to see a government shutdown? Are the Republicans going to fall apart yet again in the in the House? I, I think nobody quite knows which way any of these things are headed yet. And Narendra Modi, with his outlook, does he have a clear run to re-election? I mean, I'm just wondering how much these, like we've seen Erdogan put his head above the parapet. Of course, he's just got re-elected. He's got a five-year runway in front of him, not a lot to worry about. Biden has a, he doesn't, obviously, running out of runway. And Modi has little runway left going into the election, but one would think has a clear re-election uh, win in his, his sights. There's in a world of uh, deep uncertainty, I think that's it's perhaps not certain, but it's like highly, highly likely that uh, that Modi's going to do well in the BJP. And it's really a game of expectations there. Do they you know, completely dominate like they did the last time around? Or do we start to see some cracks in uh, in uh, Modi's performance or perhaps the underlying sort of performance of the BJP in relation to how well? Uh, uh, the prime minister himself does, which has kind of been the question in the past. He's always he's always done very well, whereas you could sometimes see cracks emerging in in sort of BJP uh, dominance, which kind of you know leads to some speculation about what happens down the road when when perhaps 
that prime minister steps down. But no, in an uncertain world, I think we can be fairly sure that that the BJP and Prime Minister Modi are going to do quite well in the next election. But we'll have to wait and see to be sure. Let's go to the survey question, which sort of picks up on this World Bank report overnight, which is certainly worth reading. And 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 obviously, it has much more in it than the drama drama of the headline, which is uh, worst case scenario, oil could hit $150 a barrel. The question I suppose, is, will the World Bank's worst case scenario transpire with oil hitting $150 a barrel? That is the question. Yes or no. Um, and the Mehmet, of course, there is the other conflict uh, and there is the geopolitics of, of Ukraine, but also where are we at with all things in the Black Sea uh, and, and, and the recent uh, developments there uh, with vis-a-vis -vis, uh, the, the troubles in uh, Azerbaijan and uh, Armenia and gas flowing out of the Central Asia. Where does all of that intersect and the outlook for that neighborhood, which is also in a completely separate corridor and geopolitical framework, also a risk zone? Well, one benefit for Russia of the conflict between Israel and uh, Hamas was that attention has been diverted now from the Black Sea to the Middle East. But of course, the conflict is going on there. And I think it will be for long term to sit uh, clearly what's going to emerge there. And But Azerbaijan and Armenia, uh, there is a clear winner there. Azerbaijan has won back its Nagorno-Karabakh and uh, also trying to open a corridor uh, from Nakhchivan all the way to Azerbaijan. Then this will also provide land continuity between Turkey, Azerbaijan, over Caspian to the Central Asia, up to the Chinese border. So strategically, this is a very critically important region. If Armenia doesn't accept this corridor, there is a possibility that uh, Baku could be talking to Tehran to create an alternative along the border. And, but I think here I want to mention two other important things. One is that the strategic choke points, like you know Suez, uh, Hormuz, Malacca, of course there's a risk, especially to the two in the Middle East. And uh, if there's any disruption there, of course, the world oil markets will be worse than perhaps what World Bank is uh, predicting. And you remember what Biden was trying to do, as well as through the trilateral uh, cooperation between Saudi Arabia, U.S. and uh, Israel, to increase the production of oil as much as possible. Huge pressure on the OPEC countries. It didn't work. But now with this crisis, also with strategic choke points under threat, I think the uh, U.S. objective will be unattainable before the election that's coming up. So therefore, on the one hand, economic uh, situation in the world is not doing well. Then geopolitical risks, interest rates, and inflation all together, when you put it, it's not a bleak, it's not a bright uh, picture for the world and for the oil and uh, gas markets as well. Well, certainly the neighborhood has been through a lot of traumas in the past, and none of those choke points have, uh, except for the, obviously the political decisions of the 70s, but every other conflict, I mean, Iran-Iraq war, Kuwait invasion, you name it, the Straits of Hormuz has remained flowing and open. 
Mark, I wanted to get your thoughts on the other side of this uh, sort of uh, geopolitical story of of, of Europe. And uh, I, I know Poland is a country that you have a home in, that you're close to, uh, and, and get your sense of the election results there. Contrasted, it seemed, from the results in Slovakia, where it seems a pro-Putin government won the election, but in, in the case of Poland, the other direction. How do you interpret the dynamics there and what the ramifications are as a result of those results on the outlook for Europe and its position on the war in Ukraine? Um, oh, in terms of the election result, it's a very positive result for Poland. Poland was heading in completely the wrong direction. It was heading down a route which seemed to say, let's go back to communism. Let's go back to that sort of um, total totalitarian state. You know, and this will be rolled back. It will take time. The most important thing is the recovery funds will, will be there. And Poland then, you know, I, th I think the most important point, if you look at the dynamics of the uh, economies in Europe or within the EU, is Poland suddenly becomes that much more important in terms of the overall um, pickup in, in Europe and becomes a counter counterweight to the weakness that we're seeing in Germany. Germany is basically going through a period of deindustrialization. Poland is a lot more competitive and with the right sort of government, as will emerge, it's going to take a long time, I should stress this, to unpick what PIS have done, but it will be unpicked. And with Tusk being you know, former uh, president of the EU, uh, it the work will be done. It's just going to take some time. But I think the important part is it gives us a bit of more of a dynamic. Um, Poland will probably be largely more concerned with saying, right, what, what is our position on Ukraine rather than what's the position in the Middle East? Because what they don't want is the constant threat from uh, Russia uh, due to the Ukraine conflict being forgotten because everyone's so focused on uh, the Israel-Hamas uh, conflict. Yeah, I mean, one would have to think, as we said earlier, and, and Bill mentioned things getting worse or worse. It, it seems to me that we're on a, an unsustainable level of murder in Gaza at the moment that uh, something will have to snap and the snap could be worse, that's for sure. But I don't think this is a sustainable paradigm for too much longer uh, and we'll have to wait and see. But Bill, look, outlook for the region as a whole, I mean, we all, we, we're in Dubai and the UAE, its uh, economics are looking very positive. I mean, there's gloom on the horizon everywhere you look on some level, but at the same token, the US economy thumps ahead. The Gulf, obviously $90 oil puts a lot of revenue into the fiscal coffers. India looks very strong. China, even at a, in its sort of non-recovery, recovery is still growing at 5%. The oil prices should sustain, as the World Bank has said, at these levels with everything else. I mean, nothing, uh, you know, no, this thing not snapping into this sort of Armageddon moment. Yeah, but I, I think the, you got to go back to the fact that it, it's, I think everyone in the region is realizing it is not a structurally sustainable situation. Uh, everyone from Israel to Hamas to uh, the Gulf states, I think, are realizing that this, it, we, the, we can't just return to the way it was before. So something new is going to have to follow. Will that be better or worse? I wouldn't entirely rule out it. it it becoming better over the long term uh, after it becomes worse, uh, that we seem to be on a worse trajectory for sure. Uh, but 
I do think it's not it's possible to imagine worlds a bit further down the road, a year, a year or two, where we're back to discussing whether there should be some sort of a a larger Israel agreement with uh, with Saudi, for example, that would bring a, a new restructured sort of region. But it's also not hard to imagine the opposite, a, a, a widening, either quickly escalating regional conflict um, or or even a longer term one that that just kind of continues to erode into a, a new, much more unstable situation that would, would be bad for you know everyone involved. Well, we'll have to leave it there. Uh, again, uh, we're we're looking at a, a sort of a cloudy day, no doubt, with the geopolitical picture of everything. Will the World Bank worst case scenario transpire with oil hitting 150? We have a, a sort of 50-50 answer in this room. We'll go to the social media and see what they have to say about it. Uh, but uh, oil is trading a, a little bit up, but uh, still under $88 a barrel on Brent. Uh, and as, as whatever reference that is to um, the the flow of, of, of energy, there doesn't seem to be too much concern in the energy markets. If anything, we're seeing natural gas prices fall and demand for heating uh, being postponed with winter uh, looking like it's still not here yet in Europe and in America. So from an energy point of view, it looks like the world is well supplied and nobody's freaking out. Uh, so whatever that's worth doesn't mean much for poor people of Gaza, but nonetheless, in the narrow corridor of self-interest that we look at in this podcast, uh, that's where the reality is. Bill Spindle, thank you so much for your insights today. Mahmoud Aguchu, thank you very much for yours as well. And of course, Mark Oswald, as always, three of the greatest minds. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great day and all the best.